I'm Alison Bukowski, and this is The Customer X-Files. I'm delighted to bring my years of marketing experience to the amazing community that supported me throughout my career. My passion has always been elevating the customer to the focal point of all marketing initiatives, and I'm proud to now lead a marketing organization with a truly customer-led approach. Each episode, I'm joined by an incredible thought leader within the marketing industry, generous enough to share their insights, knowledge, and experience with all of us. Brought to you by the PeerSpot Network, nothing is off limits. And just as our industry continues to evolve, so will this podcast. We will feature guests in live Q&A sessions, panel discussions, and more. So let's get started. Welcome, everyone. Hello, welcome to the show. So today, it's my turn to fangirl a little bit because I'm joined by a man that needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him an introduction anyway. Kevin, Kevin Lau is the Senior Director of Customer Advocacy and Experiential Marketing at F5, where he's responsible for customer marketing and advocacy, experiential marketing, and customer communications. Uh, I don't know how Kevin, you get that all done in one day. We'll we'll talk about that. But and many of you know Kevin. He from uh, speaking opportunities that he's engaged in. He was the global head of customer advocacy at Adobe prior to joining the F five team, where he led customer marketing and advocacy initiatives. And I'm going to tack on to Kevin's bio because he's very humble. But in addition to all of those professional accolades. He has spoken at multiple industry events, and he's put together some pretty amazing learning opportunities and coursework through the Customer Marketing Alliance. You can check those out if you're interested. But in addition to that, everyone knows that I'm people before professionals. You really will be hard-pressed to find a more gentle and kind human being. Uh, Every time I interact with Kevin, he has a kind word razor-sharp wit, and he's honestly one of the most cerebral marketers I've had the pleasure of knowing and working with, and I mean that in a very good way. Plus, he still plays with dolls as an adult, and we'll talk about that in a little minute, in a minute here. So welcome, Kevin. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Awesome. Thanks, Allison, for inviting me. If you could give that entire intro and just tell my wife, that would be amazing. Happy, happy to happy to do it. And I mean all of those things in a good way. Some people are like, oh, I don't know, cerebral. I just mean that <laughs> you, you are so thoughtful um, about everything that you do. So I know I, I'm going to toss the icebreaker question at you that I ask everyone, even though it, it changes. So people before professionals, and it's a multi-part question. So I mentioned I gave you a little bit of uh you know, poked at you a little bit with playing with dolls. But what I mean by that, of course, is many people know that you're a huge Marvel fan, uh, Star Wars fan. So I need to know, how many action figures do you actually own? And what started that whole, you know, as a fanatic for comics and superheroes? Let's start there. Just how did you get going on this collection? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I mean, the, the exact number, honestly, I have no idea because I have, I honestly have so many that are in storage and things from my childhood, but, um, if I had to like estimate, I would say it's probably, it must be over 10,000 if we, if we count like individual ones, but, um, yeah, so that, that's a whole thing I could talk about at some point, but I guess what really got me into it is. 
it was just something that I really enjoyed growing up as a kid. You know, I used to watch all the the eighties shows. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember when they had like, you know, Saturday morning, um, you know, cartoons, and they had like after school cartoons and things like GI Joe and Thundercats and that was back when they were good. These other, yeah, like all these other shows that I just really enjoyed and. I think when I, I first found out about like Star Wars was actually when I was going to Costco with my parents and I just saw the, the trilogy yeah, in like the VHS section and I thought the, the cover was cool and I was like, asked my parents if I could buy it and then took it home and then just was blown away and I watched it probably 50 times just in the past you know year that we had it and then I guess the rest is history from there. And then I think the love of comics just came from you know, reading them in newspapers and then going to the local comic shops and, you know, picking out different uh, editions that came out. And and also the cartoons, I think, really helped influence it as well. I think, although I'm a little, uh, I'll say I'm a little horrified by that number. I, I thought, of course you have them in storage. Of course you do, as any collector does. But if you've ever been on a, a Zoom call, right, with you, with you, you can see in your office space how many are there. Now to multiply that by a you know an exponent that that's a little that's a that I don't know that's just crazy to me. This, like, are they in your basement? Is your wife okay with all of this? It's just, that just, <laughs> it, just I would just tell you points of contention for sure. Okay, fair, um, fair yeah, enough. They're I have too many. And so I I have to ask you, and I'm sure you know people do. So which. Like, what's your favorite? Either what superhero do you most relate to or just admire? I know it's hard to choose a favorite, but I'm going to make you do it. Um, you know, I would probably say I really like the Hulk. Um, and it's probably for a number of reasons. And I think a lot of people could relate to him as well because he's just like, he has like two different personalities. There's the Bruce Banner where he's like the logical you know, individual, the scientist, and then there's like the Hulk when he like rages and goes out of control. And I definitely have my moments, um, you know, being both. And I think it just the fact that he's like, he's both spectrums uh, in the same, you know, character, like that, that's something that just has resonated with me. I, I can't imagine Hulk moments for you, but I, I know that they, they occur, but I'm actually kind of, super pleased that you picked that one not the one that i would have thought about because a lot of times you were like oh i like you know spider spider-man or batman because they're kind of you know regular everyday guys but the hulk has like a literary connection so of course you know it's the jekyll and hyde kind of yeah. situation which i i love that's that's awesome well how about we'll we'll just have to do another podcast that will be all about um star wars and comic-con and things like that, because then my husband might actually listen to my podcast um, instead of just kind of rolling his eyes when I let him know, there's a new episode. Don't you want to tune in? No, no, he does not. Um, and I think I told you the story about how May 4th is my birthday and it might be why he married me simply because of the Star Wars reference that I knew nothing about until I was yeah. in my 20s <laughs> and we met. So it's anyway. It, it yes, it is. I'm actually going to be at a customer event. So, and some people might think that's a bummer, but I think that's a great way to spend to spend my birthday. So let let let's talk about it. Let's segue into customers, customer marketing, and specifically, 
you and I both kind of got, we get excited about this topic of, you know, renewals and customer retention. And there's a million reasons why customer retention is so important. Um, people far smarter than than me have documented them, but we know things like it's less expensive to retain a customer than securing new logos. Um, we understand as marketers that there's greater potential for upsell with existing customers. And of course, as time increases with customers and the longevity of that relationship grows, it's a partnership rather than just a vendor relationship. So those are all great reasons, but maybe now more than ever, which is why you and I decided this would be a great topic to talk about, the, the economy is just still a little weird, uh, especially within the tech space. So let, let's kind of dig into it and how do we focus or refocus our attention as marketers on customer retention specifically. Um, and let, let's start with kind of talking about maybe a recent shift. I don't know if it's the economy or what, but when I started in customer advocacy, the emphasis was hugely just on supporting sales for new business opportunities. And it seems in the last few years, there's been a shift. And in the last two years, a huge shift to focus on supporting CS. Why? Why do you think it is? What caused it? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, we could talk about this for hours. I think from my perspective, it's been sort of like this evolution where I think we've just noticed this, especially from a, you know, working attack in, in the SaaS industry and whatnot, there was so much pressure that was being placed on customer success professionals to basically do it all. You know, it's like making sure that the handoff process between sales is clean. They help support the onboarding experience. They take care of making sure the customer sees value. They have to do the renewal in most cases. And then, oh, by the way, they also have a book of business that might be a hundred accounts or more. And I think it just, it created this recipe of, you know, false expectations and ultimately leading to burnout and you know, not really the greatest outcomes because a lot of these teams are set up to fail. And I think within marketing, it's always been historically, you know, demand gen focused. Like how do we get more into logos? How do we get more pipeline, you know, so that we could update our spreadsheets and our dashboards saying that, oh, we have more MQLs this quarter than we did last quarter. And that was always the case, I think, you know, probably for the past 20, 20 plus years. Um, and I think the the focus on retention, there's sort of that culmination between, you know, what CS can manage, but then there's all this this convergence around the, the concept of like customer experience that becomes like the new buzzword. And I think customers have been asking for more. You know, like if we just think about the own subscriptions we have ourselves, whether it's like, you know, the Apples of the world, the Shopify's, you know, in our you know, basic daily lives, like we have so much variety, so many options to choose from now that the customer has more flexibility and control on what they what they decide to purchase. I think that's very true, especially from a B2B standpoint too. Some some companies, you know, just based on what customers are spending from a dollar value, they kind of were on the hook to stay, you know, stay with that solution because maybe it was just too expensive to switch. And so they didn't really have to worry about the customer experience overall. And I think now with customers, like I said, having a little bit more control and autonomy of what they what they could do with their tech stack, what they could do with their their dollars and their budgets, 
there's that overemphasis that they can't just coast anymore. And so vendors really have to think about what are they going to do to support uh, the customer at every stage, I think. So that's where there's like this convergence of all of these things happening. And then I think just based on the work that we do in customer marketing, there's, I think there's like this natural progression where there's a sense that because we're so focused on the the pre-sales motion, there needs to be sort of a balance. And I really am a big believer that, you know, having support on both angles that you're covering the entire journey is really how you create impactful programs. And so, yeah, I've, I've tried to, you know, talk about this a lot, you know, back in the day when I used to work at Adobe and Marketo and how we evolved the business and the practice to focus on retention as a, you know, center of excellence. But I think that's, you know, that's where it's kind of uh, shifted a bit just, yep. just recently. I agree. And about a decade ago, that that was it. And I was focused on that as well. It, you know, retention was this sort of COE, right? That you focused on where it was a differentiator, but I think everything has caught up and that it's no longer a differentiator. It's just what has to be. There needs to be that focus. And, you know, you said a lot of great things, but, you know, specifically when you were talking about kind of this shift and I think about it's almost like the real estate market in some ways where there's this shift from we had this seller economy and same thing you know i've worked within either healthcare or tech most of my pretty much my entire career and it's like oh it's too expensive to shift so customers would stay with a vendor that they weren't even happy with because yeah. it just didn't want to do the work and now that power shift has happened, right? Like, you know, same thing with real estate. Like you have a seller market, you have a buyer market. And we've kind of moved to that buyer economy where they do have more power for a variety of different different reasons. And I think that, and I think that's a good thing. I think it's good to, to set the bar high for vendors um, that are providing services and, and solutions. So agree, agree with you on that. And I hope that that shift is here to stay versus yeah. in the real estate world, it, it changes. So so with that in mind, um, and kind of pivoting and talking a little bit about, you know, customer marketing and, and advocacy, but I would love to actually dig deeper into the CS piece. Um, and I just had a thought. So post-show recording, I'll ask you about that. But several factors to consider, right? If you really want to Focus your advocacy efforts on customer retention and expansion. So let's kind of pick pick that apart a little bit and talk about a few of them. And I'd love kind of quick fire on this one, your thoughts as far as what you think is most impactful. So let's start with the onboarding experience. Um, where can advocacy insert itself when we talk about onboarding? Yeah, so I think it's um, like some of the down and dirty is like, if you had to think about a customer going through their first 30, 60, 90 days, like maybe it's simply putting together a, a tool tip of, you know, these are the top 10 things you as a new customer should know about our product or solution and how to get, you know, kick out of the gates pretty quickly. So that could be one thing. It could even just be a simple, you know, welcome email that says, you know, on day one, these are your tips. These are, this is your, CSM counterpart. This is the person that's going to help you and, and uh, drive that relationship and the support. Um, it could also just be an aggregation of existing resources and you know tools that 
other teams have created and putting it in a place that customers can find it more easily. So those are some like down and dirty ways you kind of focus on onboarding and then you can get to the advanced stuff later. Yep. I, I love that. I kind of like to use the, the term as, as a word nerd, um, aggregate and communicate and don't underestimate that how important it is to just, can we just have everything in one place? Um, and have some sense of, yeah, we know what we're doing and we have like a, a, who's on point basically. It's an age old question, right. but important. Um, what about feedback? Like we talk about a feedback loop, um, but that loop is uh, more of a squiggly line with lots of break, uh, breaks in the line along the way. So how can, how can we as CMA professionals help? Yeah. So I think the, and the challenge with, with um, feedback and whether we call this, you know, voice of the customer or something else is that it oftentimes, depending on what team is surfacing up the feedback with the customer, it tends to just kind of sit in its own little silo or pod, unless it's really being orchestrated at the level that you're getting involvement from all stakeholders across the company. Um, and so whether it's a survey that's capturing NPS feedback or, you know, the product team wanting to do roundtable discussions or panels about a certain feature functionality, unless it's aggregated in a way that, you know, you're looking at the full 360 and what a customer is actually saying, it's only going to be as helpful as, you know, who actually listens to the conversation or, you know, absorbs it. And so I think there's ways that you can kind of do it. And, and maybe if you have a dedicated team in customer marketing or advocacy that focuses on voice of customer, they could be that, you know, that quarterback that helps tackle and, and brings together all that feedback from, you know, things like cab surveys, everything else in between. And then also then takes those insights and shares it broadly with the organization. Um, and you could do that just off the bat by, you know, if you need feedback on onboarding, it could even just be setting a goal and, and conducting a number of interviews, you know, per month or per quarter to make sure you're, you understand like what are the real challenges and, and issues that you can kind of address immediately, whether it's through some of those down and dirty opportunities, like I said, or through things that might take a little bit longer and you might need to get involvement from other team. But I think that's also where there's an opportunity to bring your counterparts within product and CS together to have those conversations at the same time with the customer with you, um, as opposed to just sitting off to the sidelines. Because I've been in organizations where sometimes the product teams always have this inside out perspective and they think they know what is in the best interest of the customer because they've seen the data and they they have this, this talk track and, and what the roadmap should be. But it often doesn't capture the full picture unless you get directly from the horse's mouth what the customer yep. wants. Yeah, and I and I think, you know, we talk about stakeholder engagement, completely agree with that. And then there's usually I get asked the question a lot, yeah, but but how? And how do you break down some of those barriers? So when we talk about the the feedback loop, I think another place where we sort of fall short is it's a one and done kind of thing, and it can't be. It's a loop. You can't stop. You can't do cuz I love interviews as well. And I think that, that it's hugely valuable and it's a game changer when you're trying to break down some of those internal barriers, but you don't, you don't stop. And one of the things that, that I've done is it's every quarter, but I have a different stakeholder in mind. So it's, 
I'm, I'm focusing on product this quarter. So my interviews with customers are XYZ, right? You're going to have a different conversation with different customers and different customer roles when we start talking about personas. And then maybe it's, you know, for CS the next time, the next time around, and it's a different group of, of customers. So you have to keep doing it yourself. You can't say that you're part of the loop if, you know, you don't keep this as part of your ongoing every quarter, every year kind of initiative. Um, totally. Yeah. And and so, and, and that is a lot about internal communication, right? That's a big piece of it. But what about externally communicating? When we talk about communications with customers, how, you know, where are there some opportunities there when we're talking about retention and promoting retention? So I think it, it could also be baked into... You know, from a let's just use it from an advocacy lens for a second. Um, you know, we all want more advocates to speak on our behalf and be those you know evangelists for our brand and whatnot. I think if you build it into the programs you're launching, you know, whether it's a community or you know a VIP program or uh, an influencer program, if you build it into you know, the requirements or expectations for the customer they're more likely to understand and and know like, okay, it's a two-way street. They're being invited to to join this thing, uh, whether it gives them more exclusive access or helps them build their career or whatever. The ask, the expectation as well is like they would actually do something. It's not just they join this thing and they just sit there. And so I think by setting those expectations up front, um, I think the customer will respect your program and, and what you're doing uh, more than if you just you know, make these random asks here and there. And so I think if you bake it into some of the initiatives, that'll largely help to kind of socialize it. Um, like back in the day when we were kicking off um, an, a program that was like a VIP program called Marketo Champions, we actually built sort of like a formal charter that all the, all the customers had to sign. So essentially it was like a very elite group, 50 to 60 customers. But we set the expectation up front that, you know, we were revamping this program these are like the key things we want to gain from it, but these are also things that you're going to benefit as well by a, you know your participation. So it created sort of that that shared goal and understanding, and it creates sort of like this movement where, as these customers were involved, um, they started to socialize with their peers, and then it started to take a you know life of its own, and and uh, people just wanted to apply and become part of it, and then it creates sort of this ongoing engagement opportunity to get more feedback in the future. Well, and it's also about putting the the benefits first, right? If you're, we can talk a big game about customer centricity and et cetera, but if you're not putting the value to the customer at the front end of it, which is typically the approach that, that I try to take with anything that we're doing and asking them, right? What do you want out of this? Uh, for example, and make sure that you're delivering on that. It's a great way to to start. And I think it's a good like community. And would you put like customer education programs in that bucket to any of these kind of subsets oh, yeah. that they would go together? Yeah, university programs. Um, yeah, they're all they're all definitely related. And then what about? Um, and this is a nice kind of segue into one of my my favorites, and I I know it's one of yours as well from some of the work that you've done with your awards programs, et cetera, but just unique experiences, you know, but specifically when we're talking about retention, how can we leverage the, um, those 
magic moments, those sorts of experiences to elevate the customer experience from a retention perspective? Yeah. So early on, we used to, you know, back in the day, we used to just call it, you know, customer marketing, but we had sort of like a little bit of a division of labor where we had, you know, team focus on community, another team focused on advocacy, another one that was focused on like life cycle and retention. And I think what we, what the met where the magic kind of came together was that, you know, when our life cycle team essentially wanted to build out, you know, scalable programs, let's say, you know, nurtures or, you know, one to many campaigns in product messaging, et cetera. What we actually started to do was we would take our customers that were already super advocates and we would give them opportunities to help educate these newer users. So they would actually create content or resources or videos, and we would feature them in a lot of our retention content. So whether it's through onboarding, you know, we talked a little bit about the 30, 60, 90 day, we would create a nurture series that might be, let's say, you know, 10 emails long. And we realized that we did some A-B testing where we took content that was from that featured a customer. And we also did that same content that didn't feature a customer, but it was a tooltip from like a, uh, you know, an Adobe employee or a Marketo employee. And we, we saw just based on the data that you know, the engagement was much stronger when they started to hear from their peers. Yeah. And the time that they would actually watch the videos was higher as well. And so we just, we realized that, you know, customers w- would rather just hear from others that are going through the same challenges and same experiences. And we replicated that across a number of different programs. So one of them was, uh, we used, this was back in 2020 when, you know, obviously the pandemic was at the height. We wanted to create these, uh, skill exchange workshops. And the point with the skill exchange workshops was, you know, we wanted to be able to bring a larger group of customers together to learn about certain things that they were struggling with, you know, in their onboarding experience or, or, you know, if they've been a customer six months and we saw a drop off in, in usage after a year, like specifically tackle some of those challenges. And so we created this pilot, we brought together some of our, you know, core advocates to lead it, same kind of concept. They led a couple of workshops, but it was open-ended so that customers could attend, ask questions. We could also talk a little bit of the roadmap and, and that's where we got the product teams involved. And then it became this great exercise where we started to expand it to other solutions. And um, I wasn't there recently, but they just had uh, their Adobe conference uh, like, a, like about a couple of weeks ago. And they did this for the first time live in Vegas. And I was like, I had so much fun with it, I wasn't able to be there. But I, the nice thing is you get to see that evolution from that virtual experience that started off as a small program and then you have like thousands of people attend it now in a live live conference and venue. I think that's where kind of that magic happens and where you start to see the, the elevated experience and the focus on retention. Well, and to see something that was a seedling, right, and grow into something so large. I, I did something similar, especially during the pandemic. And not to, I mean, you try to make lemonade, right? But also yeah. leverage the fact that we worked together. We couldn't do in person, but I agree with you. I have done that as well, where I've had customers lead almost like a product demo. It wasn't called that, but what you're describing, these workshops where it's, here's some challenges. These are the things that we're hearing, which also broke down a barrier and allowed me to work with our SEs 
Um, you ever want to find a great partner, the solution engineers, they're an amazing group of people. And they're so yeah. hands-on with deployment of the solution that they can tell you, like, here's the challenges customers are facing. It's like, well, let me try to help you with that. Why don't we have this rock star invite? And the customers got as much out of it as the attendees. And that was one of those kind of moments. So I love that. I love that suggestion. Um, I think we need more of that. I don't see too much of it. So it'd be great for people to start engaging if they're struggling a little bit with product, et cetera, go to the SEs um, and build out that experience. So let's, I, I have to, of course, we have to talk about measurement, uh, even if, if briefly, because you're kind of the wizard when it comes to measuring the value of customer programs. So how does measuring customer retention differ from measuring customer acquisition? Or how are they the same? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, there's definitely some nuances between the two. I think with with acquisition, you know, it largely sits within, you know, the the typical demand model where you're looking at things like MQL conversion, you're looking at pipeline influence, you're looking at accelerating deal closure, you know, from the standpoint of a reference call or or something of that nature. So that's I think most folks within customer marketing understand that pretty well because, you know, whether you have a CMO or you report to a demand gen leader, like most, if not all of the organizations focused on that, that, that funnel piece. But I think with the retention, it's a little bit, it's, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit, um, I don't want to say necessarily more complicated, but it, it also involves a lot of other stakeholders too, you know, from a post-sale standpoint. So I mean, yes, we could look at influence to the renewal or, you know, being able to uh, impact or decrease churn. Uh, those two metrics do take some additional work. Um, and I think that's when you start to work in tandem with like the customer success team. And, and I think that's why the partnership with customer marketing and CS has been pretty tight, you know, even more recently over the years. Um, we used to start to look at things like how do we support just basic, you know, customers that might be at risk because they're not implementing or they're not onboarding and using the technology or we're seeing a, a dip in, in usage over time. So we used to create, and this is like a very like specific uh, way that we would do it, but things like in product messaging. So if you're using, you know, Gainsight PX or, or Pendo or something of that nature, and you wanted to look at increase in usage for a specific feature or functionality you could create sort of like a, a data dirty you know 10-step toll series within within pendo and see if the engagement starts to increase based on that experiment so it's almost like you're doing a science experiment from that standpoint we also looked at if if you're building out you know nurtures and emails you could look at engagement and whatnot um, we also used to build what we call like an adoption score. And that had different measures on, you know, is the customer, you know, based on usage and telemetry, are they actually using the technology? Number one, are they implementing it? And then it took into some, all these different data points to, to, to yep. focus on it. And then I think the, the long tail thing is like, if you can impact uh, retention and be able to kind of see the comparison between accounts that might actually have advocates versus those that don't and how much that impacts uh, a customer willing to stay like that's the holy grail it it obviously requires 
some work with you know finance and data and, and analytics and, and different teams to help achieve that. But that is like a very something that we started to build out, and it took several years to create. But that's some things you could look at. And then of course, you know, I think um, the new term that everyone is focused on is like NRR, net recurring revenue, net retention revenue. Um, yeah, that's something that we're pretty big on, and you know, deal influence and impact influence on that is. Yeah. It's tricky, but I think if you have the right people to help you, you can start to move in that direction. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that, and it doesn't happen overnight. So, and it's overwhelming, you know, measurement in general and same thing when I was uh, at Optum. I mean, that took time and not two weeks, two months, two years. I mean, mm. it takes time to get those data points in place. And, you know, and we did before I left to start to get there for those comparisons. And it's amazing when you can see that and not only just say, yeah, I compared it, but compare it with confidence, knowing that, and there's a difference, knowing that you have the right data points, right, in place. Um, and and just one, because I have a couple more questions I, I want to ask, but I do feel like I need to comment on, because it's impacted me throughout my career, this whole, the I word, influence. We seem to get very hung up on it. And I think it's a incredibly important word. And I mean that in a very positive way. Um, to your point, Kevin, you know, you said it's hard with retention. This is a team sport, right? It's oh. not something that is just one group. And we still, we talk about breaking down silos and things like that. And we, again, we talk a big game, but I don't see it happening. And I think that's one of the things with influence where we get very protective. And it's like, no, we're not going to give advocacy you know, a nod on that one, or we're not giving marketing as a whole a nod on that one. So when I came into, you know, my role leading the marketing organization, that is why I fought so hard for the alignment, because I think that influence and goal alignment are also directly attributed to your physical alignment within the organization. So marketing, sales, CS, and ops are all one umbrella. And we you know, work parallel and even from the top down from our CEO. It's like influence is influence. We're all working towards the same goals. So influence that comes from over here, from over here, we want it, we document it, we measure it. And all of a sudden it's become a lot easier for me because I don't feel like I'm fighting for justifying, like I don't have to fight for that seat at the table because I know it's okay to say I influenced it and that, and that's appropriate and it's actually preferred, um, which has been a, a huge, a huge thing for me. I don't know if you agree with that, but it just seems like we, we influence seems like such a, like, like it's a dirty word. I don't think it is at all. Yeah. It, you know, I think it, it stems from this, this age old debate between sales and marketing and, yeah, you know, who ultimately closed the deal and who made the magic happen? I mean, we people could go back and forth on, you know, what what's the right answer, and I don't think there really is one. It's but to your point, it's like all of this works, and the reason why companies hire so many people across different divisions is because it is a team sport. It takes more than one person, even if a salesperson probably won't agree with this, but it takes you know village to achieve you know, deal closing or a deal renewing or, you know, customer wanting to do X, Y, Z. Um, like I, I definitely believe that. 
Exactly. And so that I think is a nice segue into life cycle and customer journey. You know, we're kind of talking about it's a team sport. Well, if you want to talk about something that's definitely a team sport, that is the customer journey and the entirety of that life cycle. So when we talk about, because I think CMA has a much bigger impact now than it did on the overall life cycle. Um, and also why this intersection between customer marketing and customer success is so important. So talk about that. How, why is that important and how is that intersection impacting the customer experience in, in a positive way? Yeah, I think it, so it goes back to the whole conversation on, you know, it takes multiple teams kind of working in tandem to drive an outcome around, you know, focusing on retention or reducing churn or whatever you want to call it. And so like having very specific, you know, systems in place or, you know, whether you want to call it swim lanes or guard, or guardrails or guidelines, essentially like where the handoff process sits, who's going to own what, how do they work together to support an initiative like onboarding? And so some examples could be, you know, maybe the CSM is that, you know, point in contact with the customer to, to build that relationship, but customer or customer marketing or CMA could be those teams that provide that additional air cover. It's almost, I think of it this way. It's like, you know, demand gen marketers are essentially that air cover for sales and customer marketing could be that same conduit for customer success or other post-sale uh, teams. And so you can help them build specific programs that will help them get closer to that customer relationship, especially keeping in mind, like most CSMs are overtaxed with just what they have to do in a given day. And may, many of them are not even necessarily super tenured either. They're just thrown into a role and the expectation is, you know, go figure it out and and make sure the customer's happy. And they don't really have any other tool sets beyond, you know, maybe gain sight and a couple other things that show, you know, how the customer is doing, but they have a tall order. And I think if you approach it from the aspect of, you know, let us help you, let us figure out like, where can we add that additional support to make your job easier? It starts to open up, you know, the floodgates a bit. And it, I think it also helps remove sort of that territorialness because I even, I, I felt that when we first, you know, got acquired from uh, Marketo to Adobe, like, hey, it's like, we're the new kids on the block, like stay within your zone. But then as you start to kind of approach it, like, hey, I think if we can collaborate and do this together, people's resistance goes down a bit. Um, and, you know, we're applying sort of like that same, you know, methodology here at F5, but, you know, approaching it from like a team sport, like we're all on the same page. We all want to help drive this, this motion around, you know, supporting the whole life cycle and that journey. And there are specific, you know, programs if you talk about that, like to support that, um, that motion. But I think that's when you start to get just everyone on the same page to begin with. So, so that brings up again, we're back to org charts, which hate that it, you know, comes down to that, but it does make a big difference. So customer experience, uh, customer marketing, customer advocacy, whatever term you want to use. Um, I've sat in five different places now in my career um, when I was focused on on advocacy. And I have my own thoughts, but so where should it sit? So are you suggesting, Kevin, that it should sit within customer success? Um, and then how does it 
I guess for retent, let's talk retention first. Is there a best fit in the org? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is the hard one. Like it really depends on the, the organization makeup and your own kind of situation, I would say. Like here, I'll just give you my, my, how we have it operating here at F5, but essentially, you know, CS is sort of that team that establishes the relationship, builds the, the trust, the engagement, takes care of the renewal, makes sure that the customer is happy. Where CX sit, it actually sits within marketing. So um, our CMO is also the chief experience officer or customer experience officer. So it, it obviously has connotations on like what, you know, what the remit is and, and what the focus is. So there's the marketing side of it. Then there's the customer experience around, you know, value and things around like voice of the customer, NPS, and how do we take those insights and feedback and, and bring it back to fueling these different teams that may need to leverage it when they're establishing that relationship. But in an ideal world, I think there's sort of like this evolution that's continued to happen where, you know, it goes a little bit beyond just the confines of marketing and CS and all these groups like customer experience could really be the go-to-market teams. Honestly, yeah. it could even yeah. encompass folks within sales. Um, I think it's also becoming a little bit of a convoluted term too. Um, and so maybe CX is not the word, I don't know, but it's basically, I think what we're all trying to say is that it is a team sport at the end of the day. And every, every team has their specific role that feeds into supporting a customer being happy or sad or wanting to renew or churn. And so I think it's like, how do we work better together to achieve those goals? Didn't even pay you to say better together. It's a, it, that's a panel that I'm, that I'm doing at my event in, in Austin <laughs> next month, but, but it is kind of, and I totally ripped that off from back in the day with uh, United Health Group and UHC and Optum, but that, that that's just it. It's the story of, of better together, but we have to have org charts and things and things like that. But if anything, I hope what listeners are taking away is there's a big opportunity. It doesn't feel like it right now. I understand that I'm not um, tone deaf to, you know, the current environment and marketing landscape for folks, but there's an opportunity here for rapidly expanding teams that focus on this. And, you know, I will say that I believe very much that all of marketing should be customer led. Um, I wouldn't do what I do if uh, I didn't believe that. But then also just the tentacles that come underneath that. And it doesn't mean that we're removing or replacing, you know, historic field marketing demand and all of them with a customer first kind of mentality, but there should be potentially different you know, for those teams of one out there, right, for advocacy, it shouldn't just be that. It should be somebody who specializes. I think we've earned that um, at this point mm -hmm. in the game that an advocacy professional who focuses on net new business and someone dedicated to existing business because the approaches are so different. So, again, I just, I'm very optimistic for and I think with, like you said, Kevin, you know, CX, what d does that mean exactly? Um, you know, what do we put underneath that umbrella? But um, for me, the takeaway is more resources. And for all these reasons that we need to be able to specialize because the customers are keep getting, the customers are getting smarter 
they rightfully are asking more of us and we need to be able to support that. Okay. Soapbox totally. moment over. Um, so let's, let's wrap up with this customer led customer voice, but there's this customer led growth model that, you know, whether it's a buzz term, um, I don't, it might be a buzz term. I don't really care what you call it, but this approach that it's customer led. What, you know, you have any closing thoughts on that? You know, how, what do you think about it? Um, how do you think all of this kind of fits into this model? I just would love your unfiltered Kevin response. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, really it's, it's sort of like the culmination of everything we just talked about. It's like you make decisions based on customer outcomes. Like what is the customer telling you that they want? How do you validate it? How do you build programs around it? And then it, it makes them feel like they've been seen and heard. Like, I think ultimately that's what we want. Like programs that are going to be successful because the customer says, this is what I value. This is what I appreciate. This is why I want to continue doing business with you. And so, you know, whether it's customer led, product led, whatever you want to call it, it's, I think just essentially it's like, how do we become more of a customer obsessed organization? that really cares about the outcome that the customer wants and what they're telling us. And so if you could build your programs based, you know, centrally on getting closer to providing that value and having different touch points and like feedback loops to ensure that you're getting constant, you know, um, inputs on what they're actually saying. It's not, it's not like one of those done and done and dusted type of things. Like you said, it's like, it's an ongoing thing to make improvements along the journey. Agree, agree wholeheartedly. I think that we just need to simply, if if decisions, business decisions are made and those decisions are rooted in customer feedback and customer outcomes so that we're taking the feedback, but then we're comparing it with the actual data, you know, is what they're saying, what we're seeing. If so, that, that to me is customer led. Um, that to me is being customer first, customer centric voice of the customer. I'm listing every single buzz term, you know, that I've heard, but I think that that's where, where we need to focus. Um, thank you so much, Kevin, for, I know how busy you are and, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with me today. It's been just a thrill. I know we've talked about it for a while, so I'm glad we finally got to do it. Yeah, no, thanks again. And, you know, likewise, I also fanboy over all things you're doing and i really appreciate what you're doing for the industry and this podcast and you know giving this out to uh the masses that definitely adhere it well the the pleasure is mine and for those of you listening you know uh, if you've tuned in to the last couple of episodes i i'm glutton for punishment i try to set the bar even higher every time we're starting to do some of our peer panels bringing in special guests it's it's fun. I enjoy doing this. This is still where my heart is with this community. So stay tuned. Uh, of course, after you've listened to this and after this airs, you'll have more information available to you about how you can ask Kevin some questions directly. So that is forthcoming. And until then, thanks everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget to follow me, Allison Bukowski on LinkedIn where you'll find information about upcoming episodes, Q&A sessions, and live panel discussions with our guests. Customer X-Files is brought to you by PeerSpot, the authority on enterprise technology. 
The PeerSpot buy-in intelligence platform is where tech professionals go to get the most reliable information on enterprise tech so they can be sure that what they buy is exactly what they need. Powered by a community of over 650,000 enterprise tech professionals who share expertise, PeerSpot provides in-depth reviews, buyer's guides, online forums, and more, giving professionals the confidence to make the right buy-in decision. For more info, check out marketing.peerspot.com. And to keep getting this show in your podcast feed, every time a new episode drops, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.